You are listening to WHCL 88.7. <clears throat> this is Dodo History, and I'm your host, Mian. Today's topic is Upton Sinclair. I'm not sure if it's Uptown or Upton. Um, I'm just going to say Upton. But uh, So I actually heard about Sinclair in my high school curriculum, which I think is rare for a Dodo History topic. And I learned about the single book he is most famous for, The Jungle, which was published as early as 1906. So that was a lot earlier than I thought going into this show. And it just goes to show how long people have been uncovering the horrors in the meat industry. But he did a lot more than just write one book. He actually wrote close to 100 books in various genres, winning the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction fiction later on in life. And he was also politically active for socialism. And there's like this photo of him apparently at the end of his life where he's standing next to all of his books that are stacked up and the stack is like taller than he is. Um, but yeah, we'll kind of talk about how like it doesn't necessarily mean that it was like all quality literature like he was just kind of a person that he had a political affiliation that he wanted to push out more so than like create beautiful literature per se yeah so first about his background um upton sinclair was born september 20th 1878 to upton beale sinclair senior and priscilla hardin sinclair his father was a liquor dealer and was described as a quote amiable alcoholic whatever that means and his mother in contrast was quite strict episcopalian and she disliked alcohol and even tea and coffee She came from a pretty wealthy family in Maryland, and his visits to these maternal grandparents often troubled him because his own family lived in these cheap New York apartments from age 10, so he kind of grew up seeing both worlds and was troubled by this wealth disparity. His father's side came from a well-established Southern family too, so pretty well off as well, but they didn't do well after the Civil War and Reconstruction. That's all it said, so I'm like, um, did you own slaves? Like, was that why it didn't go well for you after the Civil War? Like, and he comes, like, well-established Southern family not doing well after the, after the Civil War. Like, I think we know what that means. Um, that's just my guess, but Sinclair was a voracious reader, but was not as strong in math, apparently, but he was doing well in school. And so, as I said, uh, at age 10, the family moved to New York City only a couple days before his 14th birthday, so at just 13 years old. He entered the City College of New York and wrote articles for pulp magazines, and he wrote dime novels to pay for his tuition. And he even made enough money to move his parents to an apartment at only 17 years old. Um, he was a really remarkable teenager. Um I mean, just going to college at 13 is pretty remarkable, but he graduated at 18 years old and then went on to study at Columbia University for two more years, and he just was like an all-around curious guy. His major was law, but he was really into writing and languages. He picked up like three languages, and he would just kind of sign up for all sorts of classes, and I mean, I guess he left after two years, so it wasn't really his thing. But uh, he was still supporting himself at this time through small writing projects on the side, and apparently he wrote up to 8,000 words of Pulp Fiction per day, which is insane. Um, And around this time, it seems like he had a break off with his mom because she was too strict. Um, Yeah, I mean, his interpersonal relationships are honestly like kind of a mess, but we'll go into that later. (laughs) So at 20, around the time when he graduated Columbia, he vowed to give up hack writing because all he'd ever done was just kind of like write to support himself um and just like 
kind of, like I said, 8,000 words a day. Like, I don't think they were quality, quality words. And he wanted to go into serious novel writing. Um, so this would be around 1898, I believe. And around that time, at the turn of the century, at 21, he married a woman named Meta Fuller. Meta was her first name. I've never heard of that name before. Very cool. And they had a son, David, the following year. And I also read that, like, th- it was too soon. And, like, I mean, 20 is quite young. And she tried to get an abortion. Like, she tried different ways to do unsafe abortions, but it didn't work. So the son came out. And um, he wrote, and, yeah, his relationship with David, like, the son, was not great, too. And they only reconciled, like, later on in life. Um but he wrote four serious books around this time between 1901 and 1904. In 1903, he started turning to socialism. And, um, yeah, he said, like, I had a great education, but the one thing it didn't give me was it didn't open my eyes up to socialism. And he was a lifelong socialist. Like, he was very closely affiliated with the Socialist Party. And he was like, when I first, there's a quote that was like, when I first discovered socialism, it was like the walls, prison walls were like, coming down around me or something like that so it was a really big deal to him and in 1904 his socialist contacts sent him to write about meatpacking in Chicago and as you know the rest is history so he went to Chicago and he worked undercover in a Chicago meatpacking plant for several weeks which must have been really rough and he published a series of articles in the so so this is like people think it's just like he was a journalist and he published this book but it was, um, a, okay, so this is what I thought, at least, was I thought he was a hardcore journalist that wrote this, like, non-fiction book about, like, why the meat industry was doing this and that, and, like, this is the policy we should, like, propose from here on out, but it's nothing like that, like, he was just hooked up with this socialist organization, this socialist newspaper, and then they were, like, we kind of want you to write about this topic, and so he goes, and he's undercover, which is true, so I guess it is journalism, and he, um, he puts it, actually, I'll talk about that a little bit later, like, it was actually, yeah, so it was, um, done in installments in this socialist newspaper called The Appeal to Reason, and eventually these were all gathered in a book called The Jungle, and published in 1906, at which point it became a huge hit, and um so a little about the jungle i had like i said before i thought that i thought it was a non-fiction book but it's actually a work of political fiction so it's about um actually i'll get into that later too but it's a work of political fiction which i think was a bigger thing back then you know there was uncle tom's cabin and lay down your arms which was written by bertha von suttner who was a previous episode top dodo history topic and the jungle was also political fiction and so the latter two have always been compared to uncle tom's cabin cabin since it preceded the other two by decades it was written like in the mid 19 19th century and the jungle was called the uncle tom's cabin of wage slavery but i, I was just thinking like these books are so interesting like i i i'm reading uncle tom's cabin right now and i read lay down your arms like and it really brings it home to me like what the human aspect of the politics of the day and I wish there was more political fiction today because I think people really resonate with individual stories and so I was looking up examples of contemporary political fiction because I wanted to read that sort of book 
because there are obviously so many issues still going on today like there's no shortage of social ills that like you can write a book about and I found the Hunger Games which kind of surprised me as like under the genre of contemporary political fiction and I was like just read that I think I read it in like middle middle school and it just seems like a sort of fantasy love story but then I was like maybe the way people are forced to compete to the death in cutthroat conditions in the Hunger Games as they lose their humanity is like that's like a metaphor for capitalism I'm not sure if that's what uh, I think her name is Suzanne Collins meant I don't know but I was like that's interesting I wonder how or maybe surveillance state because like they could look in and like the way the Hunger Games like the wealthier people were just kind of like looking in I think there's definitely like class differences and I remember what surprised me in the movie version of the Hunger Games was certain poorer districts were like completely made up of people of color and stuff um and so I guess like yeah now you know what now that I'm thinking about it it is political fiction I just never gave it enough credit because I only saw that there was like this love triangle which I thought was so silly so I stopped reading it um but yeah you know what I did not give enough credit to the Hunger Games anyways back to the jungle so also the thing about the jungle was that so like I said it's a fictional work and it's about this Lithuanian immigrant working at a slaughterhouse and how horrible these vulnerable populations these immigrant populations have it and it shows the breakdown of the family. I mean, literally, the the synopsis of the book is just, like, one... This poor guy and just, like, one bad thing after another. Like, slowly, slowly, like, all... One by one, all of his family members are just picked off by different things. Like, um, by food poisoning in the meat industry, by unsafe working conditions in the meat industry, and just general poverty. And at the end, the main character, after losing everything... And everyone basically finds purpose after hearing a speech about socialism. So, like, it's really clearly a work of political fiction. And how he's able to change the direction of his life by, like, working for the socialist cause. So it's about economic structures and it's about America's treatment of immigrants um, and working conditions and capitalism. But the public reaction to this book, it was huge, but it was not about these topics. They were most concerned about how unsanitary the meat they had been eating actually was. So, um, which by the way still persists today, like over half of the chicken in our grocery stores has fecal bacteria I read the other day. But um, yeah, anyway, Sinclair himself said, quote, I aimed at the public's heart, but by accident hit the stomach, which is funny. So publishing of The Jungle brought him a lot of sudden wealth and fame. It sold millions of copies, was translated into dozens of languages, and it was actually not popular when it was first printed in the socialist newspaper Appeal to Reason in installments, like I was saying. So they never even printed the ending to the installment because, like, no one cared and no one was interested in it, so they didn't even print the ending. And um, I wonder if it got to, like, the socialist part because that's, like, his whole thing. And publishers were turning down his story until this company called Doubleday Page and Company rescued it. And The Jungle was praised when it was released. I told you, it's, like, wildly popular. It was praised by Winston Churchill, and Roosevelt invited him to the White House, and they didn't actually get along later on. But um, <laughs> he used his new fame to agitate for reforms and projects that were... Uh, but they, these projects, none of them were really as successful as The Jungle, especially in the years um, 
immediately after it. He even tried to start his own colony called the Helicon Home Colony. It was an experimental communalist living thing and and here I want to get into this issue of racism with Sinclair. So I didn't I had no idea about this. I mean 1900s like what was I expecting but also like I don't know I just feel like a lot of people that are socialist and were involved in like labor rights are generally woke in terms of other things as well um I'm just thinking like William Lloyd Garrison was like an abolitionist but also a women's rights activist or like he was on board with equal women's rights and equal suffrage so um yeah but Sinclair was not like that at all so um Apparently in the jungle, so this is the first thing, there's two things. So apparently the first thing is in the jungle, the narrating character describes African Americans in a highly negative light, and I know people can dismiss this as not being Sinclair's own views, but when you have a main character and he's portrayed sympathetically, and then he says racist things, I think that is a racist book. because. Like, okay, I I was thinking about this because I have this complicated relationship with Gone with the Wind, which, by the way, is, like, named the number one Americana novel after the Bible, I'm pretty sure. Um, But that book is racist. It's incredibly racist. And and so I absolutely adored that book in high school, and I still still like, like it, like, like the book, like reading the book, and if I ignore... I don't know if I like the story but then if you read between the lines like I like how it's female empowerment and I like how Scarlet is really um I like how the ending is also unconventional like it ends with him leaving and oops did I just spoil it for anyone <laughs> sorry but um and I but I like how Scarlet is really strong and I I really liked I was drawn to it originally because Melanie is a really strong character. Melanie Wilkes is, like, my favorite character in all of literature, maybe, except for, like, um, Holden Caulfield, but, um, which I know is really, like, typical teenage answer, but, um, and, and because she was, like, this kind of nice, like, girly girl woman, um, who, like, is, is the, not, like, the thing is, like, uh, so Scarlett likes Ashley, who is married to Melanie, and she's, like, always trying to seduce Ashley throughout the whole thing, and Melanie is just seen as, like, this impediment to the main, what the main character wants, but then, like, it really, the novel turns it on its head, because Melanie is, becomes this incredibly important friend to Scarlett, and it's almost like, you, you know, it's always, like, in, in the, in the, in the, in the story of with a female as the main character it's like the main female character her best friend and then her love interest and then the girl that's getting in between them and the love interest that's either like super boring and bookish and uninteresting or like super sexual and seductive and just like um femme fatale kind of women and i think melanie would go into the first um, category, like, oh, she's so boring, what is he doing with her, Scarlet is so much more interesting, but then, like, it turns out, and it turns out around, and is like, no, this girl is actually really incredible, and she's actually really strong, and she, um, is, like, helps Scarlet in so many ways, and defends Scarlet, and, and uses her own type of strength that Scarlet doesn't have, because Scarlet has, she's, like, economically, she's a great businesswoman, but, um, Melanie is, like, has this societal pull where she's able to, like, heal the community. Anyways, that's, like, enough about why I love Gone with the Wind, and, well, why I loved it when I read it, but, like, what you kind of realize after reading it, like, what did I read it like 10 times (laughs) on the 11th time I was kind of like um Melanie is 
is is she like a symbol for southern community healing like in like in terms of like the racist southern aristocracy like finding their their center again like she was kind of a melanie was a symbol for like southern mm, southern like way of living like southern aristocracy and like the what the civil what the confederate side was trying to protect like that's kind of what melanie is the whole symbol for and then scarlet is like the symbol for rebirth and like the new south in a way melanie is a symbol for the old south and how like they're gonna bond and create this like racist place it's like really bad and i i read it and i was like you know after a couple times honestly like i feel like i have that with a lot of books too like rereading pride and prejudice i was like this is not as feminist as it's made out to be um you can fight me on that but like okay going back to this though oh yeah okay going back to okay i'm back on track going back to like why gone with the wind is racist um is because it never says black people are lesser but it like it's written on every page basically like the only quote-unquote good nice black people that are portrayed in the book are the ones that are fighting for the confederate side and the whole book is about how the south was ruined because it was trying to like protect its quote-unquote way of living and there's even this quote by ashley who's one of the main characters and he's like I was just, like, trying to protect my way of living, and, like, I know it might have, like, harmed some people, and I was, like, um, yeah, (laughs) like, an entire population of, like, enslaved people? Yes, your way of living was incredibly harmful, like, just because something is a tradition does not justify it at all, and, like, some of the uh, main characters that you sympathize with, like Ashley and like Frank, who is Scarlett's, I believe, second husband, are part of the KKK, which, like, I just didn't even realize it the first time I read it around, but, like, they are part of the clan, and I was like, oh my god, that's the KKK, like, what the heck, and then also it shows, like, Scarlett getting attacked by this, like, sexually attacked by this black mob and it's like that is obviously bad but like that was the excuse that like it was perpetrated all over the place saying like they're after our white women and like the kkk is there to protect like white women's purity and like all that kind of not true stuff like on a large scale that was not happening it was the other way around like black people were getting lynched and so like portraying that as like a reality to scarlet is i think like totally just feeding into these wrong racist assumptions um and perpetuating them yeah yeah okay so anyways i think there's a lot of racism cloaked in like oh it's fiction and that line between an author's opinions and their character's opinions but like i will write an essay about this if you want me to but like i will margaret mitchell was racist oh my god i have to like whisper that because she's such a like icon i mean gone with the wind is such an icon i'm coming from a place from like really loving this book and loving the female empowerment aspect of it and so but like that was a really racist and she was racist to write that book like she had racist viewpoints to write that book i mean it doesn't surprise me too because like she literally wrote that book from growing up in the south and like hearing confederate soldiers tell her stories about the war like that's what she based the book on so like I mean what do you expect but um yeah anyway so like I just don't really buy even from just this one point I still am like very much on board with like it does not absolve 
Sinclair just because it's a work of fiction you know like everything else he wrote in it was like had a political meaning like I'm pretty sure making black people out to be a certain way in his book that's a racist thing to do um where am I um yeah just as surely as the jungle indirectly agitated for socialism I think a novel can also carry racism without it being said outright to compound that so Sinclair started this colony yeah going back to the colony that he started so the colony this is like the real racist thing this is like the real racist double punch so um the colony was open to quote open to any white person of good moral character so yeah that's just outright racist and like I said it was 1907 but that doesn't make it not racist and it was also exclusionary of Jewish people so he was a racist and he was an anti-semite just getting that clearly stated here um the colony burned down to the ground in 1907 and he thinks it's arson but like honestly yeah whatever (laughs) that that colony was like obviously I don't condone arson but it was a very short-lived thing that like all white community that he was trying to start and let me also say that they ate animals in this colony so like Sinclair I went into this kind of like he he, like he came up on something where it was like oh he was a vegetarian and I was like okay cool um but he did not have a problem with killing animals for unnecessary purposes such as eating like maybe he cared about welfare he like they shouldn't be but the thing is like if you care about animals not getting harmed killing is harming unless it's like euthanasia like maybe that's um, a blurred line and we can discuss that but like like pulling a knife across an animal's throat I'm not sure if you can even claim to care about welfare but anyways the jungle is really all about working conditions and how people were harmed in the meat packing industry which is such an important issue um and I find that so cognitively dissonant because one of the big issues with meat packing that's also shown in the jungle is there is an especial danger working in meat packing because the equipment you use its purpose is to cut flesh and cut animal flesh and humans are animals um and so it's dangerous because humans are made of flesh too obviously and accidents happen where the human worker gets cut or hurt um but yeah it's just like this weird thing because like you're getting hurt because you're trying to your your flesh is getting cut because you're always like using all this material to cut other flesh um and animals bleed and get cut just like we do and and humans getting hurt is an issue obviously but like maybe fundamentally the issue is that we are surrounding ourselves with weapons to hurt living bodies like that's so normalized and like no one ever got sliced by a machine picking like by picking a tomato off a vine you know like that's maybe they fell from like a ladder or something but like that's not fundamentally like a violent act and so you wouldn't get entrenched like inherently hurt there's no inherent danger in that like I don't know like this fundamental violence that pervades the whole idea of the meat industry so okay I do want to talk about what he um was positively known for though which are the two historic bills that President Theodore Roosevelt signed to regulate sanitation and food so after the jungle people were mad and Sinclair aptly directed this anger so the White House started receiving a hundred letters a day demanding a federal cleanup of the meat industry and Sinclair himself sent tons of telegrams and lobbied incessantly and Roosevelt apparently wrote Sinclair's publisher saying tell Sinclair to go home and let me run the country for a while um but he got the job one like he got the job done like Sinclair's book got the job done so for decades 
actually regulation of the food industry had been lagging behind the explosive industrialization and when the jungle was published suddenly it was the center of national debate so Roosevelt ordered an investigation by the USDA and they came back and said like everything's fine because um, they had close ties with the meatpacking industry, which is like, hmm, nothing has changed. The government is still in the pocket of ag- ag- big ag, big agribusiness. So Roosevelt launched another covert investigation with social work, like the social worker and like some secretary, I kind of forget. And they found out that what was going on was absolutely filthy. Like people were just like, like, like deficit like is that the right not defic- like um relieving themselves shall we say like just all around the meat that was going to be served like in the factory and it was like all this dead animals on the ground that were just kind of like packed in two packages and sold and stuff like that and so they were like yeah what was going on in the jungle is exactly what's happening that's regular practice and so congress passed the pure food and drug act and the meat inspection act in june of 1906 so only four months after the publication of the book so anyways after these failed projects his um okay yeah okay that's i i realized i wrote a lot more than i thought on that so so like he had this jungle the jungle and it was super successful but like I said he was doing like call trying to start start this colony and like trying to write these other books and trying to do all these things and so like after for a couple years after the jungle he was not doing well and so um so after these failed projects his marriage also collapsed in 1911 and he cheated on her and then his wife left him so Meta left him for a poet um and then in 1912 he married again to Mary Craig Kimbrough who he met when she came to one of his lectures um after he put it was on his like lecture tour for the jungle and she herself came from a wealthy southern family actually and it's unclear whether she ever fully believed in socialism like Sinclair once said she was someone who quote who may not have always believed in what her husband was doing but cheerfully helped him do it and it's like mm, I would not just like latch myself onto someone if I didn't believe in what their like entire life work was and they had an interesting relationship like for example so she was a writer and she was like kind of well known for writing a book of like an autobiography not autobiography a biography about Jefferson Davis's daughter and Jefferson Davis was like the confederate president um and so confederacy president and she um so she was kind of like a writer kind of like in her wikipedia page it's it labels her as a activist and i was like yeah but that's because like i'm not even sure if she was fully on board with what she was doing like i think she was just doing it because her husband was doing it i'm not sure but um yeah so like they had an interesting relationship and there's this book called sylvia which she credits as a collaboration that she begged him to publish under his name i guess because there was prestige attached to it and and she was like oh we went chapter by chapter and like he would add in something and i would add in something and like and like we both made it better um but then he says that it was all written by her and so it's like this book that no one wants to take credit for and he also published a book about how she had this is like just weird um how she had telepathic powers and i don't mean like a married couple joke about like buying the same groceries separately or something like that but like these he he 
cited these studies that he did and genuinely thought she had telepathic powder telepathic powers like oh my god I'm not even going to it it's like odd and not in a good way and she also apparently cheated on him with a young theology student and had a son with the guy but I also only read this from Wikipedia, so I don't know how true that is. I promise I'm not only using Wikipedia. It's, like, I, I always, like, read Wikipedia first, and then I read, like, ten other articles. But, like, just so you know, I'm not only... So, like, I'm just giving this Wikipedia perspective as, like, one shallow side of it. Actually, Wikipedia, interestingly enough, fun fact, is, like, more accurate than Encyclopedia Britannica, though. Which, I don't know, I believe, because, like, Encyclopedia Britannica, I remember reading about, like when I did the East Timor episode podcast and like it had nothing on U.S. involvement and I was just disappointed um yeah so he was actually more productive during this time though and it it seems like they had a happy marriage like they were doing fine and yeah so he wrote oil like that the book's name is just oil exclamation point which is his second most famous book, and that was well-received, and he wrote this in 1927. It's about, like, obviously the oil industry, and it's also a work of political fiction, and it's about the main character, and his, he's a socialist, (laughs) surprise, surprise, and his conflicts with his father, who's a wealthy oil tycoon, which is, I guess, kind of interesting. Yeah, like, that's, you know, what if you were born into this industry, like, all of your wealth that you've been born into is, like, based off of something that you don't believe in. And there was a film adaptation of this novel in 2007, so it's doing pretty well. And so more about his socialism. So his socialism is just like a theme in all of his works, it seems like. But not only that, in 1934, Sinclair ran for governor of California as a Democrat and lost, but apparently shifted California's conservatism a little. And he won almost a million votes. And it's funny, like, this, when he was running, this movie magnate, Louis Mayer, who is, by the way, the co-founder of the famous movie company Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, like, the Lion Roaring Company, and this guy would start, he started airing anti-Sinclair clips in all of his movie theaters before the movie started, like, oh my god, the ultimate, like, capitalist indoctrination, (laughs) like, oh my god, this is all propaganda, and and they conflated socialism with communism, and tied him to Russia when he was actually opposed to what was happening in Russia, and I mean, I'm not sure if he would have won anyways, but yeah, and he would go on to write historical, yeah, that's just really, like, we need to have better campaign financing laws, like, there are way too much special, I think everyone agrees with that, like, literally, conservative progressive, liberal, it doesn't matter, like, everyone agrees that big money should be kept out of politics, because, like, corporations are not people, they're legally bound to just care about making as much money as possible, and that's fine, like, that's what a company is, but they shouldn't have unlimited power to then influence elections, like, the same way a person with, like, who's, you know, it's like having a person that literally only cares about making as much money as possible ever and ever like that's the person's only living and breathing goal vote like that's not a human being you know what I mean like a human being is not a corporation I'm not sure like how to describe it in a more simple way like a a corporation is not a human like a human is much more multifaceted than like a economic or financial organization yeah anyway so 
He would go on to write historical novels and in 1934 took the Pulitzer Prize for his novel Dragon's Teeth. And um, later he spent a lot of time tending to Mary Craig, his wife, who was sick and she died in 1961. And a year later, he married for the third and last time to Mary Elizabeth Willis, who he remained married to until his death. And she was like a really social person, apparently. And I think she was also a socialist. And his legacy remains. A lot of his books aren't read anymore because... Oh, 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 wait. Am I getting to... Okay, oh, yeah, okay. I haven't even gone to... So he he died. That's what I was trying to get to. Um... Yeah, I just went straight into his legacy. Yeah, so she died, Mary Elizabeth Willis died, and then he died a year later, and then he's buried next to her. Um, and he lived for, like, 90 years. He was really old when he died. And his legacy remains, a lot of his books aren't read anymore because they were really more of just, like, a political thing than... They were they were more political than the fiction, in political fiction, in the genre of political fiction. But The Jungle has never been taken out of print since it was first released in oil and World's End are still considered classics. He was obviously a good writer, because, like, he was just so prodigious, like, he was a prodigy, that's what I'm trying to say, from his teenage years. He was, you know, going to college at 13 years old, like, he was obviously a smart guy, um, but he always seemed to care more about politics, and literature was only an agent of change for politics, rather than being, like, a writer himself, which is, like, too bad, because The Jungle was when that kind of mesh together like I think you have to have both if you're writing you have to have the political but you also have to like have a compelling story or else like you won't even get attached to the characters and um oh yeah I on ending I feel like this has become a tradition like I'm ending off with a quote that I like from him I think this is the most famous quote and I think about it just a lot with like farmers today too like dairy farmers like dairy is gonna be a sunset industry because it's so horrible for the environment and like adult humans don't need another species breast milk um and the dairy industry is going down and like instead of understanding it as like oh like coal like we should be going to renewable energy and stuff like that and like oh we should yeah dairy we should be moving to plant-based milks and employing people in that way like people are just like very hard set on not understanding it um and the quote is it is difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on not understanding it i think that's quite concise um so yeah anyways thanks for listening next week i will be off air because i have schedule conflicts but i hope everyone enjoys their sunday